Okay, great. Shall we grab our seats and we will continue on together? Great to see all of you. If you're new, can I add my welcome to that that you've already received? My name's Philip. I lead the church and it's wonderful to see all of you. In fact, if you are new, you should know that. When we start a new life group term, as Abby was just explaining, normally we then kick off a new series of talks at the same time. But this is a bit different. Uh, the next four Sundays, we're going to have kind of standalone talks, really. Uh, for example, we've got John Ford with us next week. If you don't know John, he was one of the pastors here, now leads a church in Istanbul. So it'll be great to have him with us, sharing of all of his experiences and what he's learning from leading a church in Istanbul. On the 22nd of May, we will start a brand new series. So we'll start a new series called Perspective. If you want to know what it is to have perspective in life, to live with genuine perspective, to have an eternal perspective, and for that, to, to, for that to inform how you live day to day, that's a series for you. We're going to use 1 Peter, New Testament, to investigate what it means to have genuine and meaningful perspective. Today, looking even further ahead, I'm actually going to launch our autumn sermon series, which might sound a bit unusual, but today we're going to effectively kick off our series of talks in the autumn. Why today? Because it's going to have an interactive feel to it. This series of talks in the autumn is going to involve you and I, and more about that as we go later on. So, Colossians 4, you're all thinking now what's going to happen later on. Colossians 4 is the passage that I'm going to speak from this morning. If you're new to the Bible or new to church, Colossians is a wonderful letter written by the Apostle Paul in AD 62. He wrote it from his position in jail in Rome, writing to a church in Turkey, in southern Turkey, in fact. And let's see what he has to say to us this morning, what God has to say to us through him this morning. So Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What is Paul basically saying, if we could paraphrase what Paul's saying, he's saying this, Colossian church, I want you to pray that you and I may have opportunities to reflect and demonstrate and explain the gospel clearly and effectively. That's what he's saying. And in many ways, this passage I want to suggest this morning is something of an aspirational statement of intent for us as a church. This is a brilliant passage to really summarize the primary thing that we're about. King's Church, the main thing that this wonderful community is about, is here to do, is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore and follow him. The primary thing this wonderful community that I love so dearly is here to do, is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore him and follow him. And it strikes me that this statement has kind of three components to it. Maybe two are quite obvious and perhaps one's a bit less obvious. Number one, it's an invitation to love the gospel. It's an invitation to love the gospel, the wonderful news of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection and offers to us. Number two, it's an invitation to love people. We have the privilege of reflecting the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. And number three, perhaps a bit less obviously, is an invitation to listen. 
Actually, the title of my talk this morning is Love Listening. And we'll talk more about this as we move through the next 30 minutes or so. Loving the gospel, loving people, and loving listening. Why? Because the main thing this community is here to do is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore and follow him. Number one, how do we do it? We love the gospel. We love the gospel. Let's be honest. When we talk about churches who uh, really want to reach people with their message, we have to acknowledge that hasn't always gone well in the past. Maybe you're here this morning exploring, looking in, and you've, been, you've had negative experiences of churches that have got this wrong. Sadly, you look through history and you see a number of examples of churches getting this horribly wrong, at best being out of touch and clumsy, and at worst being arrogant or even violent in its zeal to proclaim its message to its community and its society around us. And it strikes me that the one thing that characterizes all of those moments in history when the church has got it badly wrong It has got one thing in common. The one thing that all those moments have in common is when the church has forgotten the main thing. It's when it's forgotten the gospel. It's when it's stopped loving the gospel, specifically the accomplished work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. When that stopped being the main thing, that's what has caused churches to proclaim their message wrongly and ineffectively and occasionally even arrogantly and violently. Other things have become the main thing. So like maintaining tradition has become the main thing. Or trying to correct moral behavior has become the main thing. Or political advancement has become the main thing. Whatever it is, the gospel has stopped being the main thing. And for us as a church, for us as a community, the gospel is always the main thing. It's not just a thing that brings you to relationship with God. It's the main thing every day. It's always the answer. It's always a solution. It's the thing that changes us. And it has to be the main thing when it comes to what we mainly exist to do which is to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite many to explore the gospel of Jesus Christ and potentially follow Jesus Christ. And you can tell that for Paul, loving the gospel really is the main thing. You can see that, I think, loud and clear in this passage. If you look at verse 3, Paul says, Pray also for us too, that God may open a door for the word, i.e. the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we can declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ on account of which I am in prison. Don't miss that. You see, if I was in prison, writing a letter to King's Church, don't start speculating what I might get in prison for, just park that thought. If I was writing a letter to you, I'd be saying, King's Church, please can you pray for me? Please can you pray that I'd be released? Or I'd say, please can you pray that I'd be safe? Or please can you pray that I have extra privileges and have Sky Sports in my cell? That's the kind of thing (laughs) that I'd be asking you to pray for. And Paul says, guys, please can you pray for me that I'll have opportunities to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of Christ to my guards and fellow prisoners. He just loves the gospel. And it's talking about the gospel, it's talking about Jesus that has got him in jail in the first place. Do you see that? I used to be, some of you know, I used to be a, a teacher a number of years ago. And I was... Uh, going along one lunchtime to that classic teacher duty of supervising a detention, which uh, no teacher enjoyed, and students certainly enjoyed even less. But I made my dutiful way to the room in question, and there's a few number of sheepish students who make their way in to endure their punishment. And uh, on, the, on the desk, there was always this book, which I called the Book of Crimes, because it had a list of the students that should be there, and it had their crime next to it as to why they were there. Anyway, as the students were trailing in, I noticed there was a boy called Josh coming in. And I really liked Josh. He was such a lovely boy, really fun to teach. But man, he could talk. 
He was one of those boys that just could not shut up, was always talking and always getting into trouble as a result. And so it was no surprise to me that in the book of crimes, next to Josh's name, is that he was in detention for, quotes, persistently talking about Call of Duty during lesson time. <laughs> and if you're not sure what Call of Duty is, Call of Duty is a very popular video game played by gazillions of teenage boys, obsessively so, on their Xbox and PlayStation and so on. Anyway, so I've settled all these, all these kids down. I need, to, need to go into silence now. I've got them all sat down and so on. And inevitably, Josh was the last one to stop talking. But Josh, you need to stop talking now. We'll go to silence. Get on with your... Fairly tedious task, and I'll get on with mine. And I made my way to the front of the classroom, and I turned over my shoulder, and sure enough, Josh was talking again. What's more, not only was he talking, but he was holding this action hero. It's basically a bit of merchandise from Call of Duty, talking to his mate. <laughs> so, Josh, are you talking? Yes, sir. Are you talking about Call of Duty? You do know the reason why you're here is for talking about Call of Duty. And you kind of feel the same, like saying the same thing to Paul. Paul, you do know the reason why you're here is for talking about Jesus. And yet you want us to pray for you so that you can talk about Jesus more. He just loves the gospel. He loves the gospel. He loves what Jesus has done. He loves what Jesus has given him. He loves who Jesus is. His primary motivating factor, you need to get this, King's Church, his primary motivating factor for engaging with the community around him happens to be his fellow prisoners and guards, primarily is because he loves the gospel. It's changed his life. It wasn't the thing that just brought him to faith and relationship with God. It's the thing that has changed him and is changing him daily. He just loves it and he wants to talk about it, even when he's in jail. So we did a whole series of talks before Christmas called A Trial. And you can catch up on all the talks if you want to on the website. And we looked at the different angles of the gospel. We looked at the different aspects of the gospel and how the accomplished work of Christ uh, puts into action all kinds of things. It's not just a one message only. It's a one act only, death and resurrection of Christ. But the, the ripple effects of it into our, different, into our lives have all kinds of angles, glittering angles. Just one example, we said that for all of us, we cannot hope to have a, a watertight defense for the guilt of the things that we're morally accountable for. We can't have a watertight defense for all of those things. But we said the gospel tells us that because faith unites us with Christ and his accomplishments, we effectively get his defense. And he's perfect, he's innocent, he's without blemish. And so the gospel tells me that I'm forgiven and I become innocent of any charge against me. And there's angle after angle after angle of what the gospel of Jesus accomplishes for us. The main thing this community is here to do is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore him and follow him. How do we do that? First of all, right up front, the main thing, we learn to love the gospel more and more. Each of its glittering and wonderful angles, how it's always the answer, it's always the solution. And my experience has been that the more that we learn to love the gospel, the more that we begin to love people. But for you this morning, it might be that you almost kind of park as it were, your response this morning might be just to simply reflect on the gospel again. Maybe for the first time, to reflect on the claims of Christ, to have accomplished all that our heart desires and much more through his death and his resurrection. Might be that you've been a Christian for many, 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 many years. And if you're honest, do I really love the gospel? Do I reflect on just simply what Jesus has done and its impact upon me? That could be your response this morning, to love the gospel afresh. But it's been my experience that loving the gospel does help us love people. That's the second point this morning. Loving people. You see, the nature of a reflection 
is that it goes to somewhere, yeah? Reflection goes to somewhere. It goes to someone. There's a man called Tom Wright, who is formerly the Bishop of Durham, who's helped me understand this a bit more, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And Tom Wright says that really all of us are like mirrors. And he says, we're like a mirror because if you look in the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, it's really clear that God has made us not only in his image, but in order to reflect his image. And so Tom Wright says, really, we're designed to be mirrors. We're designed to be, he says, mirrors at 45 degrees. Because a mirror at 45 degrees can take the vertical and reflect it out horizontally, you see? That's how God's designed us to be, people who can reflect his, if you like, vertical image, his love, his compassion, his justice, and can reflect it out horizontally to the community and the world around us. And he says that really what sin does, what the the fracture of the human heart does, is it takes us from being 45-degree mirrors to being 90-degree mirrors. And no longer are we able or desiring to reflect the vertical image of God. What sin makes us do is want to reflect our own image. It makes us concerned with self and not the perfection and the glory of God. And of course, what the gospel does, what Jesus does, is he moves that mirror from 90 degrees back to 45 degrees. He enables us to begin to reflect him, and he's the perfect image, the fullness of God. And so we can begin again to reflect him to the community around us, the very thing that human beings were created to do in the first place. The gospel takes us from a 90-degree mirror concerned with self back to a 45-degree mirror, able to beam out the vertical reflection of the perfection of God. Let me give you another example to emphasize the point I'm making. I haven't been to the Sistine Chapel. Maybe some of you have, but I would love to go. It just looks an incredible place to visit, and it's just, isn't it, steeped in history and significance and so on. And I'd particularly love to, to gaze up at Michelangelo's fresco on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, I'm told that you can just gaze at it for ages and ages, always seeing new things and, and, and new aspects of what he was trying to communicate through the, uh, the artistic medium, as it were. And if I did go and visit the Sistine Chapel, and particularly Michelangelo's fresco on the ceiling, I think I'd need a good guide. I really want a good guide. And I was thinking this week, what kind of guide would I want to help me engage with this amazing piece of art? I guess, on the one hand, I would want a guide who was passionate about Michelangelo's fresco, who just loved it, who was never bored of communicating to it, was just fascinated by the beauty of the artistic creation and, and loved the symbolism and the significance and all that Michelangelo poured into that piece of work. Somebody who knows what Michelangelo is trying to communicate, who's just consumed and passionate about what's above. I'd want that kind of guide, wouldn't you? I'd also want a guide who actually loved being with people, who loved engaging with people, who really wanted me as the fairly clueless tourist, to have a great time and to be able to engage with this piece of art, to understand it, to be changed by it, perhaps. I'd want a guide who who loved what was created above, was passionate about what was created above, and was also passionate about the people in front of him. See the point I'm making? Paul loves the gospel, but he doesn't just love the gospel. He doesn't just love what the creator above has done through Jesus Christ for him. He loves the people in front of him. He's a 45-degree mirror, able to reflect what the creator has done through him, through Jesus, and is beaming it out horizontally. If anything like me, loving people is not always straightforward. (laughs) Loving people can be a challenge. I don't know which person pops into your mind as I say that, which boss or colleague or employee or friend or family member or spouse, I don't know. (laughs) 
My testimony is that the more, when you struggle to love people, my testimony is that trying harder to love people is not the way to go. Just clenching our fists and trying really hard to love people doesn't necessarily bear much fruit. At least that's been my experience. My testimony is that when you find it hard to love people, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the answer is to reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it's hard to love people, I just try and reflect on who I am because of him. I reflect on the fact that I am one who is greatly forgiven. And I am one who is greatly loved. It's the gospel in a nutshell. And that, my testimony is, shapes and changes you and enables you and allows you to be able to love more people. Not perfectly, in my case very erratically, but more so. The answer is never to try harder. That's what moralism says. Behave better, try harder. The gospel says reflect on what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and he'll change you and he will. Let's be honest, but loving people isn't always difficult. There are people who we naturally are incredibly close to and fond of and, and, and love dearly, and hugely connected with, people that we have fun with and people we have things in common with and people that we're naturally, we naturally love and are connected with. And I trust we're looking to build increasing connections like that in our borough, people who we have stuff in common with, we have fun with, who there's a natural connection with that we love and care for and begin to draw on a journey together. Either way, Either way, the most loving thing we can do is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore and follow him. It's the most loving thing we can do. And how do we do that? We learn to love the gospel more and more as the gospel shapes us and changes us and makes us more like Jesus himself. We really do begin to love people intentionally, passionately, even sacrificially like Jesus himself. But it's been my experience, and maybe yours too, that sometimes connecting the gospel that we're loving more and more with people that we love is not always straightforward. Sometimes building a bridge between the gospel that we're learning to love and those people that we love it doesn't always happen. Maybe it's just me, but it isn't always easy, always easy to bring those two things together. You're allowed to nod if I'm on the right track and you're resonating with this. So it strikes me that one of the ways, if not the way, but one of the, one of the ways to build that connection, to build that bridge is, as I mentioned at the very beginning, to love listening. To love listening, which is the third and final point this morning. And if you look at verse 6, Paul turns his attention from asking for prayer for himself to talking directly to the Colossian church. And he says to them in verse 6, Let your conversation be gracious, seasoned with salt, this is kind of a key word for us here at King's Church, looking to flavor things, bring the goodness of God to things, wholeness and positive connections and so forth, so that you may know how to answer each person. Now, forgive me for stating the obvious, but in, able to, in order to be able to answer somebody, you have to know what question they're asking. There's a friend of mine who was just telling me recently that uh, 15 years ago, he was at a conference and uh, the particular session that he was in, the speaker was talking about how to engage and answer some of the questions that modern society has, some of the objections that society has about the Christian faith. And the speaker was saying that often he gets asked, people will say to him, Christian faith is not for me because there's no such thing as truth. To which the speaker said he would very wisely and sagely reply, is that a true statement? And my friend was really impacted by this fact can't wait for people to say to me, there's no such thing as truth. He thought, when they do, 
I will pause for dramatic effects, and then in a moment I'll unlock all of their objections and questions. The universe will change on its axis if it had an axis, and I'll say, is that true? My friend said, you know what? In 15 years, nobody has ever said to him, there's no such thing as truth. People are saying that, definitely. It's a, an objection or a point of view, kind of postmodern point of view that can be put forth. But the point is, none of my friend's friends were asking that question. He had an answer to a question that his friends weren't asking. And do you know what? For me, it's been a bit of a learning journey, I think, in the last year or two, of realizing I've got a lot to learn about the genuine questions that our wider community are asking. I've got a lot to learn about the, what really are the objections, the questions, the longings of the heart, the dreams and ambitions, the fears of the heart, the lies that are being believed. I've got a lot to learn as to what they actually are. And my suggestion this morning is that we can learn by listening. We can learn by listening. That often is a way of building a bridge between the gospel that we love and the people that we're learning to love. Listening. Up until recently, I've had a, a Muslim flatmate. And uh, one evening at the beginning of this year, I came out of my bedroom into the living room. And uh, he had a friend of his there. So my flatmate's name was Rabaz. And a friend of his was round. His name was Dara. And uh, we got talking, and it was pretty clear that Dara uh, wanted to talk to me because he sort of knew what I did for a living, and he wanted to engage with this. And he began to explain uh, how he, something of his story, that he left a Middle Eastern country in very difficult circumstances. He began to explain some of the questions he had about, about Islam and the Muslim faith and some of the frustrations he was experiencing. He began to talk through how he brought some of those questions and objections to uh, his imams in the mosque and had been met by some degree of hostility. It was ever such an interesting, engaging conversation, such a warm and humble man. And he basically said to me, can you tell me about the Christian faith? Just such a privilege to have that kind of conversation with a gentleman like that. And I began to kind of launch into my Jesus died for your sins on the cross story, which I believe he did. But rarely for me, because I'm usually quite quick to try and give the answer, I did feel kind of that wonderful whisper of God that you occasionally get, where God just kind of checks your spirit and nudges and prompts you. And usually for me, I felt him saying, you just need to listen a bit longer. And so I began just to ask some more questions and to listen a bit longer. And as we talked, and, and uh, we did so over multiple cups of tea, uh, I began to realize that the question he was asking was a different one that I thought he was asking. What I think Dara was actually asking was, isn't Christianity a white Western man's thing? Isn't Jesus kind of the, the Western European Christendom American thing? How would someone of my background and worldview and ethnicity and religion, how would I connect with this Western Christianity thing, with this Western Jesus? How would it ever resonate with me was more the question that he was asking. And so therefore I just began to talk about Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes began to talk about, Dara, do you, know, do you know Jesus was also born in the Middle East? He's a Middle Eastern man like you. He'd have had olive skin like you. Probably a closely cropped dark beard, just like you. And closely cropped dark hair, just like you. He also knew what it was to flee his Middle Eastern nation of birth and be a refugee. He knew what it was to be criticized and rejected by the Middle Eastern religious authorities. He began to talk about the Middle Eastern Jesus. Not the the white Western Jesus, the Middle Eastern Jesus, the one who is a God, the God to all men and women and children of all tribes and tongues and nations and ethnicities. He's not to be boxed into a white Western thing. He's a Middle Eastern man 
who's reached all nations and tribes and tongues. It was such a great conversation and a privilege to engage in. And my learning point was that listening can often bear fruit as you build a bridge between the gospel that we love and the people that we're learning to love. So I mentioned at the beginning that we're launching our autumn sermon series today. The series is going to be called Ask London. Not Ask Kingston, but Ask London, given the fact that lots of us have connections with other boroughs in the city of London through work and so on. So we've called it Ask London. Here's the, here's the premise. If you've got nothing else this morning, you'll understand that this community is mainly here to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore and follow him. We've said that we're learning to love the gospel. We're learning to love people. And we also want to learn to listen, to be increasingly humble and gracious and understand the questions that our friends are actually asking about life and about faith and about God even. And it strikes me that part of reflecting Jesus is asking questions. If you read an account of Jesus' life, you won't, it won't take very long before you see him asking great questions. You notice that? Whether it's a woman who's come from multiple marriage breakdowns or a religious leader or somebody that's sick or a wealthy businessman, He's always asking questions, always asking great questions and always listening to the responses. And I want to provide you with an opportunity to do exactly the same thing. So Ask London works like this. What we're asking you to do is to approach people that you're connected with, probably friends with, and we're going to ask them, would they mind recording a 30-second video, probably just on their iPhone or your iPhone? And what we're inviting them to do is, can they, would they mind sharing an objection they have about the Christian God? Or to put it a different way, a question they have about, a diff- about the Christian God. Or to put it a different way still, a reason why the Christian faith is not for them. And invite them to help us listen and to help us learn. To say, my church is involved in this thing, we're doing a series of talks in the autumn term. We'd love to genuinely learn and listen to what the objections and questions are so we can honestly and authentically, as best we can, engage with them. Would you help us with that? Make sure they don't mind their video potentially being shown on a Sunday morning. That needs to be upfront about that. They might do. Some people might say, I'm happy to do it, but maybe it's a voice memo rather than a video. The video is what we're, asking, what we're after, but the voice memos are fine. Explain to them that we're not easily offended, that we really want honest, authentic objections and questions. My experience is, and I'm sure yours is too, that my friends are nice people. And they, think, they seem to think that I'm a nice person. They want the best for me. They love me. They like me. They don't want to offend. So encourage honesty, authenticity. Explain that we're not easily offended. And what we'll do is we'll compile all the videos that we get. We'll look through all the questions and objections and points that were raised. And then we'll have the best crack that we can at engaging with them Sunday by Sunday through the autumn term. I think it's going to be a really exciting thing for us to be engaged in together. I'm excited about the conversations that you're going to have, and we're going to give our best attempt to engage with these points and questions in the autumn term. Now, I'll explain more in a second as to how the logistics will work. It's going to be real simple. We're going to use technology well to help us in what we mainly exist to do. But let me just briefly just show you a clip of my own or a clip of our own. So what myself and Caroline and my colleague Andy in the staff office have done is we've done the same thing already. So we've just approached some friends of ours who've said exactly the same thing. Our church is doing this thing. We'd love to, to learn, really, what your questions and objections are about the Christian God, if you have any. Would you mind doing a little 30-second video, either to my camera or just on your own phone or computer, at your desk and stuff, and emailing it in? And we were really encouraged by the response that we got. So we'll have a look now at the response that we did get. 
Okay, this is my 30-second video on uh, my problems with uh, the Christian God. Um, believe in God or else, or believe in Jesus or else. The threat. That's not a God of love. That's just unpleasant. Well, for me, Jesus was a, a great teacher. And I just, uh, not God for me. Okay, first question is, what has God done with my hair? What do you think? God's opinion of the war on terror would be, especially how it's being fought by the West and the outcomes that uh, we're reaping as a result of that. Stop preaching. Uh, stop, you know, I, I, one of my problems with the Christian God is the people who are telling me about it constantly. Um, the, so stop preaching, yes. Don't tell us about it. Don't tell us how to behave. Just behave and then maybe we'll want to do the same thing. Why is it deemed to be a sin and immoral um, to have sex before marriage? Um, could it not also just be an extension of um, showing your love and feelings towards someone in a very committed relationship um, prior to actually getting married or in fact if you never really want to get married? The thing that I find more difficult is being able to have faith in seeing something um, that we can't physically see. And that's probably what I find a little bit more difficult to grapple with. Um, the idea that he's cool. Uh, well, nine out of ten of the people telling me he's cool don't look very cool. Um... My brain say there is no God. My brain tell me scientists explained everything. But then my heart say no, there's God. There's someone who create all this thing. And there's a creator behind all this thing. How do you seek to explain some of the very bad things that we, we do see happen in this world? I think the uh, bombings last week in, in Belgium was a very good example. But why is it that God does not believe that if you are not Christian, you are not going to heaven? Even if you live your life in a wonderful way, underpinned by fantastic values that are very similar to those um, adopted by the Christian faith. Uh, scriptures, that's just a lot of uh, words written down by blokes or women with faith that are repeated again and again by other blokes or women with faith. You've just written those words down because you believe, great, that doesn't make me any closer to God or make me think, oh, well, that's definitely, oh, but it's the word of God. Mm, no, it's not. You wrote that down or that bloke, that friend of yours or that relation or that bloke from centuries ago wrote that down. doesn't mean it's the word of God. Word of God. It's just what he wrote down. Uh, okay. Interesting, hey? And I might add great fun to engage with. We had a lot of fun talking to friends of ours and a lot of fun watching their responses, some a bit more punchy than others, some very keen not to offend. As I say, it's really helpful to draw authentic, honest responses from people. It's a little bit nerve-wracking when you ask people, and you ask people, you're not quite sure how they're going to respond. Of course it is. But can I say, not one person that we asked was offended. Nobody was offended. In fact, people were actually quite keen and flattered to be asked. Even two people that said they wouldn't want to do it to video, so they'd like to have the conversation in person instead. It was a really fun thing to engage with. We got some really interesting conversations and responses. And it has the feel of authenticity about it. These are real people giving their real objections, their real questions of things that they genuinely are asking. And we want to listen and learn as a result. I would encourage you, even though it might be a bit nerve-wracking, of course it might be, but like I say, nobody was offended at being asked. Everybody was quite pleased and flattered to be asked, and people were surprisingly keen to engage 
with it. I think you're going to have a great time doing so. So here's how it works. Here's the logistics side of things. Here's how we use technology really well. Three things. You need to listen, you need to record, and you need to send. I know it's a radical departure from me to have three things, but there it is. <laughs> Go with it. Listen, record, and send. First of all, it's about listening, which is why I've kept the next slide, I think, nice and blank. Because I'm not looking, we're, not, we're not looking to try and answer things straight away. The goal is not to get the question and then, bang, give an answer. The goal is to listen. The goal is to listen and to learn and to make that the under, underlying value of the questions that you ask. And as I say, we're encouraging honest, authentic, potentially blunt responses that we can engage with. Can I say, if you're here with us this morning exploring the Christian faith, looking in on church and so on, this is so for you. This is very much, you are part of this. We really want you to engage with this, to, to be asking your friends. You're in a great position to be asking friends or even bringing some questions and objections and thoughts you might have. We'd love you to engage with this, to get your friends to engage with this and to come on this journey with us. We'd love that. Number two, as we listen, we then record. So if the person's willing to be recorded on your phone or their phone or a tablet or a computer, the video needs to be around about 30 seconds, if possible. And you could do it in person, as I did, I think, with a couple of my friends and a couple of others. They just did it themselves at their desk, at work, or at home, whatever, and they just WhatsApped it or emailed it through. Real simple, really simple. But obviously, we're recording these things and making it clear to them what, what it's for. So we're totally honest about it. And then thirdly, got to send it. You've got to send it. So you go onto My Church app. If you're not yet on My Church app, just tick the connect cards that Abby referred to before and we'll get you connected with My Church app. You go onto My Church app. Very, very simple. You follow the links on events. Go to the Ask London video. Follow some more links and you'll see some really simple instructions as to how to go about uploading your video. It really couldn't be easier. Technology is our friend when it works well and it allows us to do what we're mainly here to do which is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore him and follow him. Let me just close by returning back to the story I told you about Dara, the Muslim gentleman in my front room. What I didn't say was that um, that was the beginning of our first week of prayer here at King's Church back in January. It was the Monday, in fact. And uh, it was the week of prayer, and so I was just in my room having a bit of a prayer in my bedroom and uh, just talking to God. And, and I guess I didn't know at the time, but kind of praying what Paul prays in Colossians God, would you give me opportunities? Would you open some doors for me to be able to reflect something of you in your gospel, to be able to explain clearly something of you in your gospel? And I finished praying. And I opened my bedroom door. And I opened my living room door. <laughs> and there was a Muslim gentleman who wanted to engage in a conversation about faith and the nature of Christ. I'm convinced that prayer works. I'm convinced that bold, specific prayer works. I'm convinced that God loves to open doors when we bring our prayers to him. It's one of the prayers I believe he loves the most. God, will you open a door for me? Will you give me the courage to walk through it that I might explain and demonstrate your gospel clearly and effectively as I should, as Paul himself says. So I want to encourage you to be prayerful. I'm laying an opportunity in front of you. But God is the one who will open the doors. He's the one that will allow you to season the conversation He's the one that will potentially stir and settle hearts and cause conversations to come about. What I'm asking and encouraging you to engage in, I guess, in is prayerful listening. Here's the opportunity. I'm so excited to think, as we pray, what opportunities and what doors God might open as we look to learn and to listen. 
I'm excited by the conversations that you're going to have. We're not looking to try and answer things, but I guess you're going to get into some great conversations. I can't wait to chat to some of these guys again, either at my wedding next week or at future points, because conversations have been opened up. It's got that out on the table. This is the deal. Let's talk about it. So I'm so thrilled to think of the conversations that you're going to have over, over coffee or even over the phone or later on in weeks and months and even years to come. Thrilled to think of what God will do as we prayerfully listen. King's Church, the main thing that this community is here to do is to reflect Jesus Christ and invite many to explore and follow him. How do we do that? We learn to love the gospel more and more. We learn to love people more and more. And for this particular season, we learn to listen really well. And we'll see what God might do in this community and on the one around us that we love so much. Robert and Anna, can you come and join me and help us to sing in response? We're going to sing a wonderful song called You Have Won Me, which has the gospel, the accomplished work of Christ right at the center of it. And I want to encourage you to use this song in, in one or two ways. It might be, like I said at the beginning, that the primary response for you is simply to ask God to help you love the gospel. We're going to sing about what Jesus has done, the chains that he's broken through his death and resurrection. It might be that you've never encountered the gospel before. This is a song for you to allow God to to speak to you and to show you what this means. Ask us questions at the end. Come and receive prayer. We'd love to talk through this gospel with you. You might have been a Christian for many, many years, and this morning has been about actually, I'm just going to pause at step one. I'm going to learn to love the gospel afresh before I go any further. For many others of you, I want you to take this song to listen to God, to see what names and faces he might put in your mind's eye now. You can use the song to pray to him, to open up doors. If you're with a friend or a spouse next to you, you could even say to them, can we start praying for this person now? You can do that during sung worship. Kind of nail something down as it were. I'm going to ask this person. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to ask I'm going to listen, record, and send. <laughs> so use this song to reflect on the gospel. It's the main thing. It's the primary thing. It's what we're here to do. It's what made us Christians if we are Christians. And also use this song to let the real, living, creator God speak and drop names and faces into your heart. We do that? Let's stand. I'll pray. And then as we continue to worship, Jason will help us to respond. Lord Jesus, we say this morning, as we've said all morning, we love you, we worship you. Primarily, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your perfect life that we couldn't have lived, a sacrificial death on our behalf that we so desperately needed, and a victorious resurrection to life that has given us abundant life now and forever. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray that you would help us love it. Love it for the first time, love it for the thousandth time. And we pray as a community, we would be increasingly effective at reflecting you, Jesus, and inviting many to explore and follow you. That, as Jason said, broken lives might be made new, communities might change, and you might get much, much, much glory. Amen.